Well, this question came in from Bill. Uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, well, good morning, Bill. Uh, currently, Gentiles do not celebrate Jewish holidays, as I understand. Uh, it seems we may begin celebrating some or all Jewish holidays during the millennium. If this is the case, should we recognize them now, or at least some of them? Um, well, that's a good question. Bill, by the way, has been watching the podcast for some time, and uh, this is a really cool question to ask. Um, yeah, it's true that Gentile believers don't typically celebrate the Jewish feast days, you know, Passover, uh, Tabernacles, or Sukkot, or, or the ingathering, and, uh, uh, we, you know, um, Pentecost. You know, we, we remember these when they come up, and maybe in our churches they come up for conversation. But then, by and large, Gentile believers don't necessarily... Um, you know, make a thing of these feast days, uh, like the Jewish believers, for example, uh, did and still do. Paul, for example, um, uh, we even see this in uh, in the New Testament, where he wanted to uh, make it to Jerusalem for the Passover and such. We want to uh, we want to recognize that the the Jewish believers certainly had a very clear attachment to these feast days, not only because it's part of their heritage, but those who came to believe in Yeshua as Mashiach, they came to recognize the. Um, sort of the fuller understanding of these feast days in the person and work of Christ. That shouldn't surprise us, by the way, that that this discovery would be made, because Jesus himself in John 5 makes the point that all of the scriptures testify of him. Um, in, in Galatians 3, Paul would refer to the law as a schoolmaster to point us to Christ, really. Uh, and so, um, you know, or another example, of this would be in uh, in the tabernacle as Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, not only with the commandments, but also with the blueprints to this tabernacle, the structure, this tent that would uh, be erected as God would lead them throughout the wilderness during their 40 year wanderings. Whenever he would, through the uh, this visible manifestation of the Shekinah glory, would move as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever this pillar would move, they would move the camp to wherever he led them. And then as he stopped, again, as the Shekinah glory stopped over a place, they would set up the tabernacle directly under it, the Shekinah being right over the Holy of Holies. And then they would fan out. Actually, I'll go on just for a second on this one. This is pretty cool. Um, uh, each of the 12 tribes would fan out, not fan out, but actually, but line up essentially, according to their tribes behind the standard of the, the lead tribe of the particular three uh, that were uh, the, the the four divisions of the of the twelve tribes were divisions of three three tribes in each set of camps around the tabernacle, and uh, and they would line up again behind the standard bearer Judah and such would would you know have the the banner of the the lead tribe of that division, and as they would set up they would set up basically as wide as the dimensions of the tabernacle essentially. So you'd have three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south. And in the book of Numbers, when you look up the the actual numbers of these tribes and what they add up to, and you sort of draw out roughly what that would look like as the tribes lined up uh, from the, the width of that section of the tabernacle straight out, if you were to look at it from aerial view, if you took a drone and flew it over the camp of Israel as they as they lined up uh, around the tabernacle, you would essentially have seen a cross in the wilderness. Uh, a wonderful sort of insight there about uh, of, of of this picture of again the work of Christ in the Old Testament. 
So anyway, but uh, but Jesus saying that all the scripture speaks of him, it shouldn't surprise us that there would be this wonderful, even richer connection with these feast days on the part of the Jewish believers, uh, those who came to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And so, um, so there's this wonderful sort of connection that Jews have to this, and many believers have adopted this, and and I think rightly so. It's it's a wonderful endeavor to consider these things and to study them. Uh, and even to, on one level, embrace these feasts in some way, um, and re- commemorating them or mentioning them and discussing them, maybe teaching on them on a Sunday if it lines up or something. Um, you know, there's ways to connect with these things, even though we don't have the kind of direct connection to them that the Jews would have had when they came to faith. Uh, it still can be a, a wonderfully rich uh, time of learning and growing as we, again, see the person and work of Christ as personified in these uh, in these feasts. Um, uh, and it is, it is true that in the millennial kingdom, we will certainly be celebrating at least a couple of these feast days. Um, um, you know, we do see in Ezekiel chapter 40, for example, uh, a mentioning of, uh, of, of, um, um, well, here, let me turn to some of this here. Um, the, well, for example, the idea of sacrifices and such, um, that continue to go on in the, uh, millennial temple, uh, commemorative in view, because of course the finished work of Christ has taken place, and so these sacrifices would not actually have any atoning value, uh, or 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 such. And like in even you know, frankly, this is one of the reasons why I think this is commemorative, is because even in the Old Testament, the offerings and sacrifices that took place could never take away sin, as it says in numerous places, Book of Hebrews, Paul's writings and such. The idea of these offerings could never actually take away sin, but rather by one sacrifice, these all looking forward to that one sacrifice, Christ, of course, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I think in the same way that when these offerings and sacrifices take place in the new millennial temple, um, which takes place after Christ returns, I'm a premillennialist. In other words, I believe Jesus will return and then establish his kingdom. Uh, and in that kingdom, there will be this temple that Ezekiel describes in chapters 40 through 48. At least that's how I see that description in Ezekiel 40 through 48. Uh, and within that, there seems to, again, be this, this sacrificial system that takes place, which, again, would be commemorative because the finished work of Christ takes place. These things become sort of commemorative in some way. I, uh, they, they don't have an efficacious power to them because Christ has come, but they do still seem to serve some purpose. Again, I would imagine in a commemorative kind of sense. Um, uh, but we do see them. There's sacrifices and offerings. We see in places like, um, uh, it's to say in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 45, um, in verse uh, 25, there's mention of the seventh month on the 15th day of the month at the feast. He shall do likewise for seven days according to the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. Uh, this mention of a grain offering is mentioned um, uh, uh, in verse 24 and such. But the you'll notice the date there. If you do have a sensitivity to these feast days, the you know the fifteenth day of the seventh month is the feast of tabernacles or Sukkot, um, or sometimes it's called the feast of ingathering. In that, it's the feast that is celebrated in part in commemoration of the wandering in the wilderness, where God provided for them, delivered them, uh, would lead them to the promised land, and such. We see the same feast is. Uh, is actually mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14, 
where the nations of the earth, all of the nations of the earth during the millennial reign, are called to come to Jerusalem to remember the feast of Sukkot, or tabernacles. And those who come and worship the Lord will enjoy the the rains and the, the wonderful blessing of God, but those who choose not to come during that time, uh, no rain will be given to them. In other words, there's a consequence for, for during this period of time, not coming to Jerusalem and worshiping the Lord. Um, and so there, there does, there's Passovers mentioned again in Ezekiel. I forgot to mention that we're in chapter 40. Passovers mentioned, um, as a, as a feast, uh, during the millennial time. So, um, there does seem to be this indication that at least some of the feasts will be in view during the millennial reign. So the question then follows, uh, if this is the case, should we recognize them now, or at least some of them? Should we adopt these feasts uh, in our practice now as New Testament Gentile believers even? Well, again, the Jewish believers did. They, they um, you know, enjoyed those holidays. They, you know, again, Paul fully knowing that the uh, um, the atoning work of Christ was accomplished at the cross and the resurrection. So when he would go to, you know, for Passover or or tabernacles and such, or Pentecost, and and um, and would celebrate, this would not be thinking that it was somehow having an impact on his uh, on dealing with his sin or any of this kind of thing, because he makes very clear that that's not the case in his writings. However, he still celebrated these things. Again, I think. In part, my uh, I imagine this would be because of the close connection he had as a Jew and his fuller understanding of these uh, feast days as a as a born again Jew, a believer who's a believer in Messiah. Um, so, what about us as Gentiles? Should we should we adopt these things, uh, sort of as rehearsals for what's coming, or to sort of prepare ourselves for that which is to come? Well, I don't think there's any harm in that, um, so long as we remember the place they have. And and for this point, I'd like to. Um, actually, um, turn to Colossians chapter two. Uh, as I'm turning to Colossians, I found myself kind of passing through Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. Uh, it is interesting that in the Last Supper, Christ also makes mention of how um, he would not drink of the fruit of the vine, or in Luke, he actually mentions eat of this Passover, eat of this this feast, until I do it new in the kingdom of God when it comes. Right, so. Uh, there's even a commemorative remembrance kind of sense of things in the millennium of this act of Christ, which is in itself a fuller explanation of the Passover and such. And so um, there is this connection that God has made in telling the story of Christ through these feast days. And so it's no wonder they take place in the millennium. But again, to the question of should we um, adopt these things now, let me read a passage here in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I'll read through verse 23. Uh, in him, you all, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, speaking to Gentiles here, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Again, notice the past tense nature of that statement, having forgiven you. The idea of us being reconciled to God through the finished work of Christ is a finished act. And so therefore, there is nothing that remains to be done for that. Uh, we typically think of this in regard to our works and our efforts and such, 
uh, you know, we think of passages like Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, or Galatians 2.21, the idea of, of recognizing that our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast, right? Uh, and I won't uh, set aside the grace of God. If, uh, for if, if, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so this idea of the work being done is an important one. And it, it, it also finds attachment here to the idea of, of how we view feast days and new moons and Sabbaths and this kind of thing. Notice how Paul goes on. Having forgiven you all trespasses, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, or therefore, since this is the case, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festivals or new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Okay, now this is a really important point. Um, Since these things are true, since his death and resurrection has taken the handwriting of transgressions against us, it's all been nailed to the cross. There now for remains uh, nothing to be done. It's all been accomplished. It's all been finished. It's all been nailed to the cross in his death, and of course his resurrection is rising from the dead. Um, Therefore, we are not to be judged in regard to food or drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. In other words, all these holy days that the Jews uh, built their lives around, things that were part of the the Old Testament, um, uh, these things now have to be seen in their proper place. Uh, Acts 15, they deal with this question. Galatians 3, Paul addresses why. Uh, or what the purpose of the law was in pointing us to Christ. So these feast days, having now reached their fulfillment, their, the, the, that which they pointed to has come. Uh, remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, he is now that which the entire law pointed toward, and therefore it is now finished, it is done. Now at this point, there are groups within uh, within legitimate Christendom, but also sort of on the periphery and outside of it, uh, that that tried to adopt these uh, feast days and sort of force it on believers, uh, even Gentile believers, to have to participate in these things because they believe that Christ didn't come to sort of put an end to the purpose of the law, um, but instead now ultimately makes the law um, something that now becomes um, attached to Gentile believers too, not just Jews. And so uh, this comes from a total misunderstanding of, of, of Acts 15, of all of Paul's writings. As a matter of fact, some of these groups try to discount Paul entirely. They try to just say that he has no place in the revelation of God, because that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to get rid of Paul's writings in order to come to that kind of a conclusion. Uh, so obviously you can tell I don't agree with that kind of thinking. But, you know, groups like the Hebrew Roots Groovement, groovement that's kind of a fun way to put things. We all start a groovement one day. But uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement... Um, uh, believes that we should be embracing the feast days and making them a part of our uh, practice as, as even as Gentile believers, not uh, sort of attaching ourselves to it. Well, if we do that, we're, we're essentially saying we know better than the most pharisaical of Pharisees, Paul, who lived these things out and knew about them, understood what they were far better than anybody does today. And he is the one who actually told us that these things found their fulfillment in Christ. And therefore, we don't need to be, we're not judged in these things anymore. Um, so that's a significant thing in regard to answering this question. We are not bound in any way to these feast days. Even Jews are not bound in any way to these feast days. 
Uh, but that said, having and actually, let me finish the passage here because I, I think it's uh, the point that it can, that he continues to make here is an important one. Again, verse seventeen: these things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance or the reality is Christ. Uh, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the, all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion and false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, why is that such an important statement? Well, Paul deals with the idea of the God-made rules, right? The festivals, new moons, Sabbaths, these kinds of things. He also talks about those rules that some debate as to whether he's still referring to that when he talks about doctrines made by men. I tend to think more likely he is referring possibly to like the Pharisaical additions to the law, but I would argue that this would find application to any man-made rules that tend to try and impose a, a version of piety that is separated from the finished work of Christ. Uh, because they do create sort of a nice aesthetic, as Paul would say in verse 23, but they really provide no value against the lust of the flesh or the indulgence of the flesh. What does? a genuine right understanding and belief in the finished work of Christ. Uh, it is only that that can make us new, not just in terms of our behavior, but first and foremost, even before behavior enters in, he makes us a new creation. Uh, you know, Second Thessalonians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, all things pass away. Behold, come and see, all things are new. Not only is the inside made new, but that then begins to spill out to the outside of the cup as well, and it begins to clean that up too. There becomes outward evidence of that inward change that has taken place. And this is only possible if you have your trust in the finished work of Christ, the person and finished work of Christ. It'll never come through our obedience to either the Mosaic Law or any other sets of religious rules that may, that may come onto the landscape. So as long as we understand that, coming back around to Bill's question, Bill's very good question, um, if we are going to uh, celebrate these feast days, there is no harm in that so far as we understand their proper place in the overall revelation of God here. Um, they never had efficacious power. They were always pointing toward Christ. Since Christ has come, when we look back on the finished work, we especially have no reason to see those things as efficacious or having impact or import on our sin or anything like that or a relationship with God. But if we can look at these feast days for the uh, for their richer, deeper meaning in terms of how they connect to, again, the person and work of Christ, then they can be of great value. But if we see them for more than that, then they can actually become a hindrance to our faith. And I think we want to be careful not to let it become that. So that would be my answer to the question. Yes, they can be a rich blessing that we can enjoy uh, celebrating in in remembrance of what Christ has finished and done. Remember, these he has taken away our sin. It is done now. 
But if it becomes more than that, then I think we have gone askew in regard to what God himself would have us glean from those things. Again, I would uh, recommend to you Galatians chapter 3, really all the book of Galatians, but Galatians 3 in particular, and then uh, also um, Acts 15 in the Council in Jerusalem where they dealt with this very question about uh, if Gentiles come to Christ but they don't come through Moses, can they still come through Jesus? Well, yeah, absolutely. That was the answer. So... All right. Well, Bill, thanks for asking the question. Hopefully that um, um, that provides some bit of answer. I'll put uh, some uh, re- uh, uh, notes on the passages of Scripture that you can read on these things uh, that we mentioned. And um, and uh, thanks for your question again. And I uh, appreciate you all watching and listening. I certainly look forward to answering more of the questions that come in. I've got, got a handful here I'm trying to catch up on. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting those in the coming days. So God bless you, man. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace forever. And Father, we do thank you for that rich blessing that we know is, uh, is yes and amen in Christ. We know that we're accepted in the beloved. And so therefore we know that your hand is upon us. Your countenance is, uh, has been lifted up upon us. And we thank you for this. And all of this is especially beautiful because we know it comes simply because you're gracious and good and you love us, Father. Not because of anything we've done, nothing we've earned or deserved, nothing we've impressed you with, but rather instead just simply because you are good and gracious. And we thank you for what Christ has accomplished, that we might be free, totally forgiven and free. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word together, as we read these things, as we spend time in your word on our own, that, Father, we would grow in, our, in the depth of our understanding of how these things all work together and ultimately how they all point to the person and the work of Christ Jesus himself. So thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you for this and uh, pray that you would continue to lead us as we walk with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.